0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey, Steve and Justin. I uh, love the show.
1: Uh, I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. I know you guys don't normally recommend IPOs. Ticker symbol,
2: B-R-O-S
0: and provides unbiased answers.
2: So the good thing that them being small is that they have a lot of room to grow. So if their model uh, seems to be profitable, which it looks like they are to some degree, then they can expand.
0: Invest talk. over 32 million downloads and counting. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART.
3: This podcast is produced by KPP financial, Steve Peasley, president KPP financial, independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors and welcome to invest talk. This is our Wednesday, September fifteenth, 2021 edition of invest talk and summer is fading fast only a handful of days away, about six days until the end of summer and the start of fall. And we're starting to see a little bit of volatility in the market. And that's what I'm here to help you navigate uh, an environment that is probably new to many of you who haven't studied history and haven't looked at decades and decades of market history. Well, I'm here to give you that perspective because I've been doing this for 20-plus years. Uh, I've looked at charts going back decades, even centuries. And uh, there's a lot that rhymes with past history, and there's things that you can learn to take home and make better decisions with your money, with your investments, and that's why I'm here to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what, I'm speaking about a strategy, a stock. Uh, sector. I am here to present it all without bias and give you the facts as I see them in front of me. And once again, using that 20 plus years of experience. Now, I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time. If you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can leave your message on our invest talk voice bank, which is open 24 seven 365. Same number 888.99 Eight eighty eight ninety nine chart So let's get to right to our first listener question now. Hey, Steve and Justin.
1: I uh, love the show. Uh, I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. I know you guys don't normally recommend IPOs. Ticker symbol BROS. Just curious of what your thoughts are as far as valuation and potentially a good entry point. Thanks. And I'll listen for the answer on the show.
2: All right. Looking at Dutch Bros, and they operate 471 drive-through coffee shops in 11 states. So uh, it's a small, small chain, still relative. 471, is a lot, but uh, much smaller than uh, much of the a lot of the bigger chains. Last quarter, they made six cents a share on revenue of 129 million. That was up 53% year over year. Uh, So the good thing that them being small is that they have a lot of room to grow. So if their model uh, seems to be profitable, which it looks like they are to some degree, then they can expand and open new locations. And that's the thought process that you're going to be buying into that longer term growth. The issue here is that it's just trading at wild, wild multiples. Even if you go trailing 12-month revenue of $400 million, you're talking about a $7.3 billion market cap. You're about 18 to 19 times revenue. And that's my issue. Whenever you're paying that much, that growth has to be consistent and strong for a long period of time. Now, the good thing is, their margins are positive. Their cash flow is positive, 28 million in free cash flow, trailing 12 months. And so it looks like a pretty interesting, solid company, but as like most IPOs, it's overpriced. And so I would need to pay probably no more than 10, 12 times revenue to really buy this company. And so I'm going to pass on Dutch Bros, interesting name. Probably something I'd, I'd be watching, keep on my watch list, monitor the overall trend of the stock, the overall trend of revenues and earnings, um, but it would need to be a much more compelling valuation uh, than it is today. So, great question, and IPOs are always interesting, it's always always. Fun to see these smaller companies come to market and grow from very little to uh, being a multi-billion-dollar company. That's that's amazing, especially for the founders and the people that uh, worked hard to, to get it here. Uh, but you, as an investor, that doesn't matter to you. What matters to you is finding good companies at strong value, at good valuations, and it's just not there yet. Now let's have head up to Northern California and talk to Peter. He wants to talk about bonds. Hello, Justin. How are you today? Doing well. What can I help you with?
1: Good. Um, Well, uh, my question has to do with the way in which uh, one should hold bonds. And Mm -hmm. I think in a large portfolio, I've uh, been pretty convinced uh, over lots of research and, and of course, uh, through your podcast Mm -hmm. and recommendations that a bond ladder would be an excellent way in which to hold bonds. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not really talking about, you know, is now a good time to buy bonds or not? It's not really about that. It's about how to hold them. So in buying a in buying bonds through a bond ladder, um, I, you know, it's reasonable if you, let's say, whatever size the portfolio is, um, you have a million dollars to invest in bonds, a bond ladder would be easy to do, I think. Mm-hmm. But in a very small portfolio, um, it's going to be much more difficult. So what I'm asking you about is, um, uh, how might you hold those bonds um, in a smaller portfolio, and at what would be the cutoff when you could switch from, say, using an ETF like BND, or BNDX, something like that, to actually creating your own bond ladder?
2: Well, you can buy individual bonds uh, as little as up to as little as five thousand dollars for individual bonds. So a lot will depend on what the overall percentage of your portfolio you want in bonds. Uh, but uh, to create a decent diversity, you probably want eight to ten different bonds uh, in your portfolio. So you can at five thousand each, you can do that with uh, you know forty, fifty thousand dollars. So I think once you get to that level of your total allocation of bonds around that fifty thousand mark, that's where you can start to create a bit of diversity uh, among your uh, among your holdings. So that's the way I would think about it. You know, We, we do that for clients and we have uh, client accounts with bonds of as little as 100000 all the way up to uh, multi-millions. And we do the bond ladder typically going out from uh, three to ten years averaging in that five to six range and getting decent yields around 4%. Uh, right now in this in this market. Not not great, not exciting, but definitely better than what you're getting in a in a uh money market account or high yield savings account, etc. So, that's the way I would think about holding individual bonds. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that sure does.
1: Um it, it, if uh as far as lower amounts, like let's say less than 50,000, is it unreasonable to use a, a diversified ETF such as BND?
2: No, I mean if if that's if that's the If that's – if you want bond exposure and you – Yeah, yeah, if someone needs bond exposure. Yeah, I I don't think that's a bad way to go. There are other options though besides just BND. My biggest problem with like a BND is that especially as government debt explodes and we know it's been exploding – Uh, The BND is looking at the total bond market ETF. So as corporate or uh, government debt explodes, it's going to become a higher percentage of the overall bond market. And therefore, you're going to be more weighted towards those treasuries, which are very, very poor risk versus reward uh, investments. And so I definitely wouldn't use a BND. I'd be looking at something like an LQD, which is more investment grade corporates. You're going to get a a much better yield and uh, avoid all of those, uh, those treasuries. Uh, you can even use there are bullet share ETFs that focus on a particular uh, year of when those bonds are maturing. And you could even ladder out with the, those bullet shares as well uh, to, to to create a bond ladder with those ETFs. So that's something I would think about, uh, too. You're still uh, going to be paying an extra layer of fees, which you don't with only an individual bonds. So uh, I, I would make sure you're conscious of that. But there are definitely different ways with ETFs to get bond exposure if you don't have enough money uh, for individual bonds. Uh, And I wouldn't just stick with the BND because I would try to avoid treasuries as much as possible. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Will Congress close a crypto investor tax loophole? House Democrats have proposed a bill along with their three and a half trillion dollar spending bill. That would make crypto subject to anti-abuse rules. Just like stocks, bonds, and other types of securities. So we're going to unpack that story. Also, along with the proposal. We're looking at forcing companies to offer retirement plans. So what would that mean for a lot of employees of all shapes and sizes? And we're going to look at that. In addition... Uranium. Uranium has uh, heated up. I'm going to talk about why and give you a little backdrop on that industry as a whole. So those are the things that are on my mind, but ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call, 888 chart 888 4278 We are live right now taking your questions. Now, let's check on the market today. We were down early, especially a lot of the tech names, uh, your Facebooks of the world was still closed down modestly, but definitely rallied off of its lows. Uh, Even uh, Amazon was down earlier. A lot of the fang names were were down. What was strong were the value stocks, the the commodity uh, space, the DBC, the the, uh, commodity tracking index hit a 52-week high. So that looks to be breaking out. So commodities and this transitory inflation is not transitory. Commodities remain robust and strong. And that is really the story here. Rates have not broken out, even though they were up a bit today. And really, the market overall is weakening. It did hit support. And this was kind of a bounce day. Uh, But what I'm watching for on the major indexes is what happens when it gets to that where it broke down What was that? What date was that? I think that was Friday. Yeah, on Friday, we had that big sell-off. If it can close above Friday's high, then I think the rally will just continue and kind of grind higher. But we tested, almost tested the 50-day moving average today on the S&P, bounced off that support, and closed kind of near where we we opened yesterday. So a big round trip on the S&P, a lot of gyrations here, a lot of worries when it comes to the – Tax proposal, increasing taxes, you obviously have stimulus and the, the debt ceiling com- coming up. And there's just a lot of potential things that could derail the narrative that uh, the economy is doing well and that, that corporate profits are just grinding higher. Uh, now, that still could be countered with more stimulus, which likely will happen, but maybe that's not in the near term. So uh, we're seeing a bit of volatility, and that's what you should expect in this back half of the year. Now we're moving into a break and I'm here now taking your questions live at 8899 chart.
0: Of all the finance and investing podcasts and all the downloads and all the world You've discovered Invest Talk.
1: At this time, do you think it would be better to keep it in this bond or move it to cash?
2: Looks like the sector is down today, so just thinking about you know potentially buying the dip.
0: And since Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to answering your questions with their unique blend of expert insight and unbiased guidance, you've got to ask yourself one question. Why haven't you called Invest Talk? Hey, it's James from Australia. I'm loving the podcast. You know you listen. You know you should call. You know you want to call. Um, so I was wondering the best options for long term growth. You'll get a reliable answer and the same positive feeling that tens of thousands of Invest Talk callers have already experienced. Thank you so much. I love the show. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. Got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk
2: 99 chart. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here's a question from an iTunes reviewer. Randall 1951 says, I drive a truck and listen to every single episode. My question, I bought Azarga Uranium AZZF at 15 cents. It has gone to a high of 60 cents, excuse me, AZZUF is the symbol on the, on the pink sheets. And this is a uranium miner. It has really broken out with a lot of the other uranium uh, names. Now he's saying that there's news of a buyout. I do not see news of a buyout. I just see the news of a giant kind of short squeeze in the uranium market on the back of what's happening with Sprott and their uranium trust in Canada, sopping up a lot of the above ground supply of uranium. And that's pushing rating prices up dramatically. And when any commodity moves fast and there's a lot of hype around it, the smaller names tend to move the most. And this has definitely moved very fast, very far. Just a few weeks ago on, let's see, what was that? What was the date? August 20th. This was trading around 24, 25 cents. Today it's at 63 cents. And just shows you the leverage that you get with these really small uh, exploration companies. And that's really what it is. They don't have any revenue. They just are exploring for uranium here in the U.S. in South Dakota at the Dewey Burdock Project. And so I I think we have a ways to go on the uranium trade, so I would not be too quick to take your profits. Uh, You're going to deal with some volatility, um, but I I think uranium just has more room to run. Now, Steve Steve and I encourage your calls anytime, 24-7. Please tell your friends about Invest Talk as well. Now, we're heading into a break, and we're here ready to answer your finance and and investment questions at 888-99-CHART.
0: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at Abvi.
4: Yes, I, um, you guys have mentioned this before. I have two positions in my IRA already. It's come down quite a bit. It's one of these things I was thinking of adding more, but I happen to look at it. and it's, uh, The di- uh, payout ratio is uh, uh, quite high, but yet the rating services are all giving this uh, a buy signal. Uh, I was wondering what your, what your uh, thought was on that. This would be in my IRA. I'd buy it, and I'd put it there for the rest of my life. I probably would never get rid of it.
2: Well, here's the issue. I like Avi as a company, uh, but I don't like the drug makers right now. And the reason is a proposed legislation going through Congress right now that would do a few things. And one would be to allow price negotiation negotiations by Medicare and nearly all drugs. And the the recommendation is that they negotiate price concessions between 25 and 35% on eligible branded drugs. They would also have an out of pocket maximum cap on prescription drug expenditures for those that are below the poverty level. It would base beneficiary cost sharing on post rebate price of drugs rather than the original list price to further reduce the cost burden for patients. So there's pressure from legislation on these drug prices, which, as we know, have kind of gotten out of control. And this is the biggest worry for any of the drug makers out there, that how much are they going to be affected by it? What is going to ultimately be passed? And how many of these drug makers have a lot of debt on their balance sheet that they could possibly, uh, that could kill them? For example, go look at Teva. Teva bought a bunch of companies. Uh, Avvi bought Allergan recently. Uh, they have a good amount of debt on their balance sheet. And if they have some major hit to their profitability, suddenly it's no longer about profits, but it's about paying down that debt. And will they be able to? Uh, and when that happens, the dividend gets cut quickly. Now, I'm not worried about, the dividend right now as long as their drug prices stay relatively stable because, yeah, their payout ratio is high, but their cash dividend payout ratio is only 45%, meaning that they're only paying out about 45% of their cash flow in for their dividend. If you go based on earnings, which are there's a lot of non-cash items, etc., yeah, it looks high, but I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about actual cash flow. So while I like Avvi, I would not be aggressive in buying it or adding to it because I'm worried about the potential ramifications of the rules and legislation going through Congress. And in a lot of ways, this is not a partisan thing. It's pretty bipartisan. I mean, Trump talked about uh, cracking down on drug companies and now uh, the, the Biden and the, the Democrats are kind of following through on that in conjunction with this, this whole bill. And so, while AbbVie's on my watch list, I'm holding off all buying on drug companies until there's some resolution. Make sense, James?
4: Makes sense. Thank you.
2: No problem. Let's go to Don in Pleasant Hill, looking at Budweiser.
4: Yes, sir. Um, I own it. And this is a two-part question. Okay. Um, the, the, the first part of this question is, when you guys go into your meetings and you say, you know what, this stock here, XYZ company has been going down and it's a dog. I'm going to, or let's go ahead and sell it. Today it's priced at $50. When you go to sell the next day, what price do you put at to to sell it at? And then in the case of bud, this thing has been going down. Can you recommend what kind of price I should just dump this thing at?
2: Well, I'll start with the latter question. Now it is into some support, I will say that, uh, and I do think Budweiser is is fairly undervalued. Um, but you know, I don't like yeah. the technical. so you you have to think of what is what is your what is your time horizon on this? Is this a long term hold, or, are, or were you just playing it? It went up, and now it's just in a downtrend, and you're worried to get out. What's your when- kind of Plan. When
4: I initially purchased it, I wanted it for for the long, long, long haul. Um, but then when it came right down to it, this is in a dividend portfolio, uh-huh. and I don't trust its dividend. It, you know, and so it, it, it's not a good fit for what I did. I made a mistake, so I'm looking okay. to, you know, I could keep it, but I don't know if I trust its dividend, and um, I see no catalyst for it to go up.
2: Well, I think and the catalyst would be reopening because clearly they're they're hurt with uh, you know less events going on, less alcohol being drink, drink drinking at, consumed at those uh, events, and so I, I think that's really the catalyst here. Uh, you know, what I worry is that you're changing your mind simply because the the price is going down. Budweiser is a good company. They cut their dividend because of what's happening with COVID, trying to uh, deal with uh, th- their business destruction. Um, but it's to me, it's still relatively undervalued. So um, I actually still like it overall. Um, now, going back to your uh, first question about where do we uh, sell it? Well, what we do is, we if we're going to sell it for all, everybody, which is what we would do in your case, we would uh, our system would say, this is all the accounts that we want to sell it for. Here's the dollar. Here's the number of shares you need to sell. We would sell that slowly throughout the day. We'd work the order, and it would average out in what's called our block account. And then once the trade is finished, it allocates to all of those uh, those people that own it, uh, all those accounts that own it. So that's how it works on our end. Thanks for the call. Give me a call. This is the Best Talk, Eight 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 ninety nine 99 shark eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use. And that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack-resistance platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's H A C K E R O N E.com. Hackerone.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile,
0: and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile
4: for you. Call. ClickGranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open,
2: 888-99-CHART. My focus point today is based on the story behind this question Will Congress close a crypto investor tax loophole? And this all has to do with the wash rule. Now, in the securities market, when you're buying stocks, bonds, other types of securities, you cannot game the system by selling a position for a loss and then immediately buying that back. Basically, taking the loss but still gaining, still having exposure to the underlying stock or security. And so what this means is that the crypto markets will now be subject to anti-abuse rules, which typically only apply to stocks, bonds, and other securities. Now, typically, the IRS treats crypto as property, not as a security. So that's why this is kind of a new revelation. And that's how the asset has escaped these rules. But House Democrats are proposing that the wash rule banning will apply to sales after December 31st, 2021, so starting in 2022. Now, this would raise about $16.8 billion over a decade, according to the to the Joint Committee on Taxation. And Democrats are trying to raise money to increase the social safety net, climate investments, etc., Expansion of uh, infrastructure, all that. And this is part of an overall corporate and individual tax reform that was outlined on Monday, Monday, trying to raise about $2.1 trillion. I kind of talked about that on Monday. And the good thing is that cryptocurrencies are dissimilar enough to where you could sell Bitcoin for a loss, then go buy Ethereum at the same time. And it's different enough that it wouldn't violate the rules. So I guess that's the positive here um, is this is getting under the purview more of the SEC and regulators. And this is uh, an incremental move. And I think it's definitely going to get passed uh, because it's an easy way to, to raise uh, raise some funds uh, for uh, th- this, this spending. And it just shows you that They're going to err on the side of more regulation, not less when it comes to crypto. And so be ready. This is the first, maybe the first, if you call it the first, uh, of many that are going to be implemented and make crypto a lot more like stocks, a lot more like currencies. And uh, you need to be aware of that and adjust your trading and uh, investments accordingly. Now, let's keep things moving and go back to the Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in New Hampshire on 888 chart Hi, Steve and Justin, Steve Ogier calling from New Hampshire. Just a quick question for you. I
1: want to hear your thoughts on, it's really just a general industry question. So in my Roth IRA, I picked a couple of sectors that I think are going to be long-term growers. One of them is the solar industry. So I do have about maybe five or six different stocks that I think are going to be big winners long-term. Right now, they're sort of languishing, so I wanted to see what your overall thoughts were on the future for solar, and I'm thinking maybe like 30 to 40 years down the road, really long term. So, really appreciate the uh, advice, and guidance. Uh, I look forward to listening for the answer on the podcast. Thanks.
2: I like what you're saying that uh, there are some long-term secular growers, and I like that you're focusing on individual companies within the solar sector, because... Overall, solar panels are going to be pretty commoditized. Uh, some will be slightly more efficient than others and then we battle over that and that's why they become more efficient and that's good. Uh, but overall, you have many companies that are very overvalued, even the good ones we have our eye on, on a few and and they were extremely overvalued earlier in the year going into the Biden inauguration. And frankly, the the hope, within the industry of a entirely green revolution that was powered by government spending it would that would drive all these major profits. Well, based on what's been proposed, it's more minor than a major part of the legislation, and that's really the issue here. And so I still think a lot of these names are very overvalued. I would be patient. They're now in a downtrend. Like you said, they're languishing. This is called bearish consolidation. If you look at TAN, the solar ETF, it peaked back in the week of Jan- late January, and it broke down in late February and hit a bottom in May, bounced a bit with the overall market and kind of the, the growth side of the market, uh, but it's bounced very meagerly, and that means that this likely has another leg lower. So, I would be extremely patient. Keep doing your homework on the names that have differentiating technology. And that's what's going to be important here. The companies that are going to be able to extract uh, excessive profits from the industry are not those that make their, your commodity panels. It's probably going to be more the companies that are able to uh, install them more efficiently at scale, that have certain components that, make the, that are necessary to make the panels very efficient and, and transfer that energy into usable energy, et cetera. So those are the companies that we're looking at. And so I would be very patient. I like what you're looking at. I do think there's a long-term play here, but you need to get it at the right price. And we're just coming off extremely overvalued levels. And TAN, although it's down about 30%, probably needs to go down another 40 or 50% before it's a good value. Uh, And so I would be extremely patient on that side of your portfolio. But keep doing your homework and good luck. Thanks for the call. 88899 chart 88992 4278 is how you get through and ask your question. I encourage you to give me a call with any money or finance related questions. We have about 20 minutes left in the show. So if you're gonna call, you want to do it right now. Let's now let's uh let's dig into the Democrats $3.5 trillion spending package that is being negotiated in Congress. There is an interesting little nugget in there about the employee retirement plans. And that now, if this does pass, some small business groups say would require uh, these small businesses to deploy and automatically enroll workers in individual retirement accounts, IRAs. So kind of calling it an auto IRA. And there's still a lot of division among Democrats on how big this package should be, what should be included. So we'll see if this is actually included. I I would say this is probably one that will be. Uh, But it would start on January 1st, 2023, and require employers to deduct at least 6% from workers' paychecks and automatically increase that savings rate by 1% each year until reaching 10% of pay. Now, there would be some companies that would be exempt from this, ones that already offer retirement plans, those that have five or fewer employees, and those that have been in business for less than two years. Certain employees would be exempt, like those that are under 21, and it would require employees to automatically enroll part-time employees who work more than 500 hours a year for at least two consecutive years. So you're kind of consistent uh, part-time workers. Employees would be free to opt out or change their savings rate. So it's to be opt-in, but they wouldn't have to stick with it. They can you know, fi- file some paperwork and, and change that. Now, companies that fail to comply would be fined $10 per employee per day for up to three months. Definitely not cheap. Now, there would be a saver's credit for those that are low, and moderate incomes to contribute to their IRA, so a little bit of help there from the government. They would deposit about $500 into our, into these retirement accounts for those who qualify, and it would be calculated based on the percentage of taxpayers' savings contributions, and it varies by income. Now, this would inf- if affect about 33% of private sector workers. About 33% do not have a retirement account. Now this would not supersede the state plans. There are some state plans in California, Oregon, Illinois, Maryland. So you, those would those would be uh, those those would qualify. So you wouldn't have to the employers wouldn't have to do something different. Okay, so that's interesting. And then employees would be automatically enrolled in a diversified target data fund within a Roth IRA, uh, and then they could elect to have a traditional IRA or ch- switch their investment options. So there is some flexibility here. So really interesting that they're looking at this. It's kind of a nudge. It's a really good book. It was the Economist Book of the Year, I think 2011 is when I read it. And it was kind of one of those – this is part of those policy prescriptions, which is a nudge saying we're going to automatically enroll you because most people won't do it. Uh, And if you don't want to do it, you can opt out. You can say no. Uh, And this is really along that vein. So, uh, interesting book if you want to go read it. And interesting that they're including this in the latest package. We'll see if it actually gets passed. Now, summer is all but over. And soon we'll start the fourth quarter. And in the market, we are seeing a bit of volatility. And I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, which is out of Irvine, California. Now, how do we... Practice independent thinking and shared success? Well, we practice unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we also implement parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So we get the same price at the same time uh, whenever we buy a stock position for a particular strategy in our own accounts at the same time. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings and you can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine at 800-557-5461. We'll love to help you in any way we can. Next up, a voice bank question from a listener in Virginia.
1: Hey, guys. Teddy from Virginia calling in. Got a question about DocRF's uh, telehealth play. Thinking ahead in the future, you know, after COVID and all that stuff, you know, telehealth exploded, obviously, in a little consolidation period. Just wondering you guys' thoughts. Revenue is growing pretty steadily. They're making some interesting uh, purchases. Just wanted to hear your guys' opinion. Appreciate it. Bye. All right.
2: This is a very, very small cloud computing company. Let's see. Cloud MD, software and services, digitizes the delivery of healthcare by providing patient access to all points of their care from their phone. It offers SaaS-based health technology solutions to medical clinics across Canada. So that's why it's OTC. It looks like it's Canadian based. Yep, it's out of British Columbia. They are growing, but they are not profitable. I think there's a lot of hype around this space, and that what's uh, that's coming off. You're seeing that with the severe downtrend and things like uh, One Medical and uh, what's the other? What's the big one? Remember the big one? There's, there's another big one. <laughs> I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Anyway, Amwell's another one. And they're all in severe downtrends because they were just overhyped. That's a good example of when you have this narrative that is pervasive, that's not when you want to buy. You want to buy when people forget about it. It's left for dead. And you're starting to get that here, although they're all pretty much in a downtrend. Uh, and so same with this name. It, it continues in a downtrend. It's enterprise value to EBITDA is 10 times or enterprise value to revenue is 10 times, which is still very, very expensive. Uh, So I would not be excited about this name. Probably right now it's trading at $1.30. It would need to get to about $0.75 for me to be interested in this name around that. Then it gets to a valuation where it it might make sense. So keep it on your watch list. It's interesting. I like that it's uh, still small and it's a Canadian company. Maybe it's the next Shopify. Who knows? But uh, I I like it at $0.75, not at $1.30. Eight eight nine nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 Now, we have now achieved over 75 million InvestTalk podcast downloads. And that, of course, is thanks to you and your friends and family. Steve and I love taking your live calls. And as you've noticed, the voice bank calls are important to us. They are vital to this show. And so please keep them coming. We love them. We love the iTunes reviews. But we also love to hear your voice hear what you have to say, hear some articulation of your thought process. And that can't be done in text. It's always best uh, when you give us a call. So keep them coming at eight 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 ninety nine chart
0: Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free InvestTalk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and InvestTalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call 888 88899Chart.
2: 88899Chart 889924278. Now, I want to highlight the uranium market because you'll probably have started to hear about this, and that's because uranium has hit an eight-year high of $44 a pound this week. And this is after a recent surge because the of the exchange-traded trust, not fund exchange-traded trust, which can trade at a premium or a discount by Sprott Asset Management. And what they are doing is anytime this trust is trading at a premium, they're issuing shares to... Raise money and buy the stockpiles of uranium at the spot price, which are typically pretty sleepy, low, uh, low volume. Well, that's picking up, and so is the price. And so, after the break, I'm going to uh, give you a little more background on this, and hopefully, maybe enlighten you on the industry. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here: to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. So our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 8899 chart.
0: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk quiz.
2: Now, before the break, I talked a bit about uranium hit, hitting an eight-year high of $44 a pound. And what's interesting here is that traders on places like Reddit are starting to take notice uh, in a market that typically changes hands with long-term contracts of buyers and sellers. The buyers are the nuclear power plants, and there's a limited number of uh, mines out there in the world, a lot of them in Kazakhstan and uh, Canada. And what's interesting here is that the momentum trade is kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because these utilities need to buy this fuel. Between 70 and 80% of the concentrate is sold in long-term contracts to these nuclear power plants. The spot market is typically very, very quiet. And for years, uh, uranium prices have languished after Fukushima, uh, Japan, Germany, and others, countries turned off reactors, and there was a glut of supply. But there also became a glut of mines that were operating because prices were no longer justifiable to keep mining uranium. And so, for example, CCJ or Kimiko, CCJ, the largest uranium miner in the world, they, were, they shut down some of their mines and were just spying it in the spot market and selling their long-term contracts. So they had long-term contract prices above where they could go out and just buy it in the spot market. So why dig it up out of the ground? It's a lot harder to do that and it depletes your resources when you can just go buy it in the spot market. And so that was really what happened for years and now it's the Sprott fund that is here starting to issue new shares and buy up in the physical market. Okay? And utilities are starting to take notice, they're 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 making phone calls and going, "What's going on here?" And the trust itself is up 49% since it listed in July. So it's pretty new. Now a lot of people think this is kind of a fad, but uh, I think there's still a long way to go with uranium. So, a uh, very interesting story kind of combines uh, the commodity play. Uh, it combines uh, Wall Street, big big Wall Street, with Sprott, as well as the small players, the the um, you know the Reddit traders, etc. Now we can fit in another question, I think. So let's try that now.
1: Hello Stephen Justin, it's Eric in Virginia. I'm looking to buy Volkswagen VWAGY for a long-term hold. Should I jump in
2: now or wait for a pullback? Thanks again for the advice. All right, looking at Volkswagen, and this has been in a consolidation period really since March when it spiked from about $22 a share all the way as high as 48. Now it's kind of settled into a trading range between 31 and 38. And so it's at 34 now, pretty much uh, in the middle, a little bit lower than the middle uh, of that range. And so anywhere in this 31 to 34 range, I would probably be picking – it's at 33.28. So, yeah, it's in the low end of that range. So I, I like it, buying this in the consolidation period. And uh, this is my favorite of the auto makers because they're going full bore into electric. They have great brands of Audi and Porsche, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini, et cetera. They have a history of producing cars profitably, and they have great leadership, great manufacturing prowess, and, and good marketing. And so it, it really combines a lot of the important features that it takes to be good at making money at car and, and building cars at scale. And I think there's a lot of hype around the other electric makers, and a lot of names like this are being kind of ignored. Now I'm a little biased. My last two cars. I had a Porsche previously. Now I have an Audi. So I I I love those cars. So I'm I'm a bit biased. I will say that. But if you look at the numbers, they're they're definitely uh growing uh substantially. They are they are profitable, uh, unlike a lot of the, the electric car makers, and they have a mission to become fully electric in, in the next few years. So uh, I, I really like Volkswagen, and any dip into the low 30 range would be a buy for me. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about a free podcast download, which they can find over iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. If you leave a brief question with your review we will prioritize your answer as well now independent thinking shared success this is invest talk good night because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the
3: format of this program it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities